Good morning, Cross Point. How many of you were at our 6 o'clock service this morning, our sunrise service? And you kind of, we kind of experienced what that video was talking about, the sun coming up. And you know, when Jesus came out of the grave, Revelation says that he said, Fear not, I am the first and the last. The living one, I was dead, but am alive forevermore. And I now possess the keys to both death and Hades. When you possess the keys to the kingdom, that means you're in charge. Jesus rose from the grave. He's in charge today, and therefore, none of us have to fear death. The enemy's been defeated. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus and the resurrection, the greatest event that ever took place in the history of the world and we celebrate it every year at this time here at Cross Point. Well, what do we know about Jesus? I've entitled, if you're going to give it a title, I entitled, what, what about Jesus? I want to talk about three things about Jesus today. Well, what do we know for sure? Just from historical sources alone, you don't even need a Bible for this. History tells us that there was a man named Jesus Christ that lived and walked and talked on this earth. There's no denying that. History tells us that he lived in Palestine. History tells us that he had followers, many, many followers. History tells us that the Sanhedrin court found him guilty, guilty of claiming to be God. And that he went to a Roman court, and they had him crucified on a cross after receiving a terrible beating. And history records that he was buried in a tomb, but on the third day when they went back to the tomb, the tomb was open and the tomb was empty. Amen? Now that's a matter of record. That's just a matter of history. There's no denying that. And that's why you and I are here today. We would not be here today if this story wasn't true. That's the kind of impact this one man named Jesus Christ had. What does the Bible teach us about Jesus? In your in your bulletin this morning, you should have a little outline. Looks something like that if you want to follow along. It's on the screen as well. The first thing I want you to know about Jesus is that he was 100% man. 100% human being. John chapter 1 and verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. In other words, human and lived among us. You know, the leap that Jesus, that God had to take to leave heaven and come to earth and become one of us is a much greater leap than you and I would have to take if we decided to become a tiny little ant. That's how big a leap this was. But for God so loved what? The world, humanity, you and me, that he was willing to make that leap and become one of us. And he came to earth. What did he look like? My guess is he looked like any first century Jewish Palestinian male. You know that the Bible says that there's really nothing in Jesus that would stand out, that you would look upon him and really even pay attention and have any notice? That's uh, the Bible's way of saying that Jesus was just very, very ordinary. What did Jesus experience here on earth? Everything human. 
Whatever you've gone through, Jesus has gone through. Did Jesus ever get hungry? Absolutely. Did Jesus ever get thirsty? You bet he did. Did Jesus ever get tired and worn out physically? Yeah, why? He had a human body. Did he experience pain? You bet he did. Crown of thorns, whip, death on a cross. And not just there. I mean, as he grew up, even as a little boy, don't you know that when, when Jesus was a little boy out playing, there had to come a time where he stubbed his toe? And guess who he went running to? Who, who did you boys go running to? Girls go running to? I went to mama. Never went to dad. Dad, dad was a lousy comforter. Dad didn't know what he was doing. I remember one time I had stubbed my toe pretty badly. I mean, it's all cracked and it's bleeding. And so I run from Bobby Williams' house and I go home. And I'm, oh, where's mom? Where's mom? And dad's, oh, she's not here. What would you do? And he sees my toe. It's all bleeding. Ah, know the right thing. Goes into the medicine cabinet and he pulls out a bottle of Absorbing Junior and pours all over that thing. Ah, I'm all screaming. Mom came home and saw what he had done. Uh, that's not how you take care of a toe, all right? But Jesus, when he stubbed his toe, he ran to mom. His toe bled, his toe bled and he experienced pain just like the rest of us. Amen? Why? Because he was 100% human. Did Jesus experience death? Yep, none of us have yet. We're still here. But he experienced human death. He went from this life to the life beyond and then came back again. So the first thing I'm trying to get you to see is Jesus was 100% human, but he was also 100% perfect all the time. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, you'll see on the screen, this high priest of ours, that's, that's Jesus, that's how he's referred to, he understands our weakness. You know, when you mess up and when I mess up, when you sin and when I sin, and when we go through trials and tribulations and we just say, I can't take it anymore, he, he kind of gets that. He had to come and become one of us to kind of understand what the human experience is like. He understands our what? Our weaknesses. For he faced all the same temptations, yet one big difference, folks. He did it all without sin. Now, that's a huge difference between Jesus and us. Wouldn't you agree? He went through the human experience, and not one single time did he ever fall short and commit one sin. Not one time. Here's what my Bible says in Romans 3.23. All have sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. I can't deny that. How about you? Last service, I asked people to raise their hands if they've ever committed at least one sin in their life. Would you be willing to raise your hand with me? All right, you're human. <laughs> you've fallen short. Now, here's the problem with that. How many sins did it take Adam and Eve to be separated from God and removed from the garden? Just one. Why? Because God is perfect. God is light, 100% morally perfect, and in Him is no darkness at all. So light and darkness cannot fellowship one another. If you're going to have fellowship with God, you're going to have to have fellowship on His terms, and that's perfection. Is that possible? Yeah, when you got a Jesus, all things are possible. See, He cleans us up, 
And He makes us just as pure and as holy as He is holy. Have you ever considered yourself to be just as pure and holy as God is? You are if you're in Christ. You are if you're a child of God. His blood cleansed you completely, not partially, but 100%. He did it perfectly. Why? He had to be human, the text says. Look at, look at um, the humanity of Jesus. 1 John 3 verse 5 says, And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins. For there is no sin in, what's the last word there? Him. Him is a human, right? Him is a person. He had to be a human to take away our sins. Why? Because an armadillo blood doesn't cover us. Only human blood. Well, you say, what about all those bloody bulls and goats and sacrifices and lamb, Passover lambs in the Old Testament? Never touch the sin problem. Read the text carefully. Only the blood of Jesus. He's the true Lamb of God. That's why John pointed and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Not a Lamb of God, but the Lamb of God, the singular and distinctive, who takes away the sin of the world. It's His blood. It's got to be human blood. Not animal blood. Animal blood doesn't transfer. And not just anybody's human blood transfers. I can't die for you because my, I've got sin in my blood. I've got sin in me. You can't die for me because you've been infected with the same sin problem that I've got. Do you see now why we need a Savior since we're all sinners? Is this making sense? Do you see why we needed Jesus to be 100% man to die for us? The only difference between Jesus and us is that He lived a perfect life, and never sinned, not even one time, thus making him qualify, qualified to die for us. Substitutionary atonement, they call it in theological sermons. Now, the second thing I want you to know about Jesus is he was 100% God. Wait a second, Bruce, you just said he was 100% man. How can he be 100% God 100% of the time? How can he do that? Well, because he's God. <laughs> God can do that kind of stuff. But I don't understand it. Well, I don't either completely. Do you understand the Trinity? I got the concept, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But how can they all be one all at the same time? I don't know. Not, not fully, not completely. And you know why we don't know fully and completely? Because we live in a space-time dimension. God lives outside of a space-time dimension. Once we get to heaven and we are in the metaphysical, we're going to say, oh, wow, what a simple concept. Why didn't we really get this? But you get the concept of time, don't you? If I use the one word time, you don't know if I'm talking about time present, the here and now, time past, back then, or time future. Time present, past, or future. But we just call it one thing, don't we? What do we call it? Time. But time really is three things. And God is three in one. And it's a concept that we will fully understand one day. But in the meantime, I accept it by faith and, and just realize that I have a human, finite mind. But let, I believe Scripture. Here's what Scripture says. And the Word became flesh, John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was who? God. 
that same word that became flesh was who? God. You mean Jesus, who became flesh, was God? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. He was not only 100% human, he was 100% God 100% of the time. Not a little bit God and a little bit man, not a God and man, but a God-man. You see the difference? That's what Scripture teaches us about Jesus. Well, how did he prove he was God? I mean, if you claim to be God, then you've got to back it up with something, right? I mean, if somebody came in here today and said, I'm a hard-boiled egg, well, you would say, okay, uh, can you prove that? Well, what I'm saying is it'd be no less ridiculous to say, I'm God. And you know, there are people in this life that claim to be God, and you kind of like step away from those people when you're on a public transportation, on the bus or the train or the plane, and they're saying, I'm God. You don't want to be too near those guys, right? Because you think, woohoo. Well, you've got to back it up with something. Now, if the person backed it up, Backed up that claim by doing a miracle. You might, you know, now you got my attention. Well, Jesus backed up his claim to be God with the miracles that he performed. The lame could walk. The blind could see. The deaf could hear. The dumb could talk. Those with leprosy, ten of them all at one time, cured. One day he walks on water. One day he calms the sea. Had power over nature. You know, when you do stuff like that, <laughs> that proves your claim to deity. Amen? If there was a raging storm and someone says, I'm God, and says, peace be still, and the storm stops, I'm following that person right there. And so did those 12 apostles, because they were in the boat with Jesus. They thought they were going to die. They said, Jesus, don't you care? And Jesus said, what do you mean, don't I care? You're not going to die in a boat. Yeah, but look at this storm. Didn't I say, get in the boat, we're going to go to the other side? Well, yeah. Well, then I'm not going to die in a boat. I'm going to die on a cross, Jack. You know, they're, they're not getting it yet, but eventually they do. And then Jesus calms the storm. Oh, and the word for calm doesn't... Oh, I see Forrest and Jerry over here. Whenever I think of Forrest and Jerry, I think of Lake Powell. And we've been in some doozies of storms at Lake Powell, haven't we? And, you know, normally when the storm passes... It takes a while for the lake to settle down. The white caps, you know, turn to just waves, and the waves eventually get still, and then it can become just as Lake Powell can be one of those raging, crazy storms, or the lake can be just as smooth as glass. Not a whole lot of in between at Lake Powell. But when Jesus said, Peace be still, it went from raging storm to oil slick smooth. And they all said, whoa, <laughs> this guy is who he claims to be. That was a major, major life changer for the 12 apostles. So he proved it by his miracles. But he also proved it by eyewitness testimony to his perfect life. And eyewitness testimony is very, very powerful, especially when it comes from people that had nothing to gain by it. You remember Pilate said, I find no guilt in this man. Pilate was an unbeliever, but he said, I can't find anything wrong. The, the soldier, the Roman soldier said, certainly this man was innocent. And then the thief on the cross that was crucified next to him said, this man has done nothing wrong. Now that's testimony from people at a distance. But what about those that knew him the best? 
You know, the closer you get to somebody, the more you kind of get to know about them. The closer you get to know about them, the more chinks in the armor you find, right? I mean, it's like you're thinking, I'm sure, well, you know, I think that Bruce Rokas guy's a pretty good guy. He's, you know, all right. Well, don't talk to my wife or my son who's here today because they know me better than you know me. I'm the worst sinner I know in this room. Did you know that? Now, see, I say that because I know me better than I know anybody else in this room. Now, if I knew you as well as I know me, I might say, you're the worst sinner in this room, okay? But I know me and my sins and my shortcomings. But the closer they got to Jesus, the more perfection they saw, not imperfection. Do you see what I'm talking about? So you can't fool someone who you're around day and night, day and night, and they're looking to see, is this guy the real deal? Or not. And they could not find one single sin. The closer they got, the better he looked until finally one day Jesus says, All right, guys, you've been around me a while. Who do you think that I am? And Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Absolutely right. Notice he did not say, Now, Peter, you're taking this Messiah thing just a little bit too far. You know, I'm just a good teacher. Isn't that what the world tells us about Jesus? Oh, he was a good prophet, he was a good teacher, but this God thing, no, he really wasn't God. No, these 12 guys said, God, God, you're the real deal. You can't, you can fool people at a distance, but you can't fool them up close. Third thing is fulfillment of prophecy. Let's move quick. You know, there's like 70 different prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his life. Major prophecies from his birth, his life, his death, his, his resurrection. Now, a skeptic would say, well, you know what? All Jesus did was, is he read some of the prophecies in the Old Testament, and then he just started living out his life to kind of fulfill those prophecies. You know, kind of like when uh, Palm Sunday a week ago, Jesus came into Jerusalem, and he says, all right, this prophecy says I need a donkey. Somebody give me a donkey. Uh, I need some palm branches, get some palm branches, and everybody say Hosanna when I, when I come down the street. And so, you know, kind of, I, I could see where you could kind of fake that, right? You know, I mean, there's certain things you could fake. But you know what? There were just way too many things out of his control. Before he was born, how can you choose where you're going to be born? My Bible in yours says he was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the city of who? David, who we're going to talk about in the story next week, by the way. How did Jesus arrange that if he was just a human being and not God? My Bible in yours says that not a bone in his body would be broken. See, if he's going to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, he's got to be without spot, without blemish, and no broken bones. And he's hanging on a cross, and one of the ways you died on a cross is halfway, you know, just the trauma that you're going through, but the other half is asphyxiation. You can't breathe hanging like this. It's like doing a chin-up on a chin-up bar. So the Romans, they were very, very cruel in the way they would crucify. They would bend the knees, the legs slightly, with nails driven between them. And in order to take a breath, you kind of got to raise up on those legs. And now where's the pain? Just the legs are knotting up. That excruciating pain on your feet to get one breath. And now back down again you are. And you could hang on a cross. Some have hung there as long as two days. 
Not two days. 36 hours is the longest I've heard of. But the Passover's coming. And they want to speed this thing up. And so what do the Roman soldiers do? They go over and they break the legs of the thief on the right and the thief on the left. And now when they come to Jesus, they notice, well, don't break his legs. He's already dead. And one of them takes a spear and jabs it in his side, breaks that sack around the heart that's now been enlarged heart, filled with fluid. There's medical reasons for all this. And out comes gushing blood and water. All this is predicted in the Old Testament. Isaiah wrote 700 years earlier, before Jesus was ever even thought of in most people's minds, that this event would happen. And he describes Roman crucifixion. Read Isaiah 53. And he describes it as if he is there watching a man die on a cross. That's prophetic. Prophecy proves. And then the body was taken down. It was placed in a new tomb by a rich man that was not his own. How do you, how do you fake that? Impossible. Jesus claimed to be God, and he proved it thirdly by the fulfillment of prophecy. And number four, Jesus claimed to be God. John 10, verse 30. I and the Father am one. And that claim got him killed. So he, he was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And he's lived a perfect life. Why would he now lie about this? I, I don't think so. I don't think he's going to do that. Number two, he can't be a lunatic because if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you read his writings, nobody's so spake as Jesus. He doesn't write. He doesn't talk. He doesn't think like a lunatic thinks. Jesus was indeed Lord who he claimed to be. And then fifthly, the resurrection. This is the biggie. This is the biggie that separates Christianity from every other religion. This is the biggie that separates our leader from every other religious leader. Our leader's got an empty tomb. You show me. You name the religion. You name me the leader, and I'll show you their tomb. Mine's Jesus Christ. His tomb is open. His tomb is empty. Amen? And that's why we're here. If not, go home. It doesn't make any sense to be here. It really doesn't. My faith is not in me. My faith is in Him and what He did for me. Some people say, well, the, the friends of Jesus took His body. No, where were the friends of Jesus when Jesus was being crucified? They ran like scared dogs with their tails between their legs. Peter denied Him how many times? Can you count to three? That was Jesus. They're all afraid. And besides... What did Pilate have placed at that tomb to make sure no grave robbers came? A guard, a Roman guard. That's a guard of four. Four trained military men. And did you know that a Roman soldier was trained to stand his ground? A ten-foot radius. That's how they were trained. They could cover ten feet. Now you've got four of those guarding one little tomb. Where are these fishermen going to have the strength, the power, or the will, or the courage to go overcome a Roman guard of four, steal the body, break that Roman seal, take the body out, make it appear that Jesus, you know, rose from the grave, all for a hoax? I don't think so. I don't think so. Friends couldn't, enemies wouldn't. See, the goal of the enemy was what? Let's go on the third day, take Jesus out of the grave, Take Jesus maybe to the marketplace or maybe to the temple where all the people gather. Kick him around the streets a little bit and say, here's your God. If they could have produced a body on the third day, guess what? You and I wouldn't be here today. 
But on the third day, the tomb was open, the tomb was empty, and Jesus was gone. And there's no other explanation for it other than he was who he claimed to be, God with us. Got one more point. We'll close. Thank you for listening. Point number one, Jesus was 100% man. Point number two, Jesus was 100% God. Point number three, Jesus is the only way to heaven. There's no room for two saviors, folks. Now, some of you may be thinking, I don't know if this is your first time here. I don't know if a neighbor, a friend, a co-worker invited you. And you say, Bruce, well, you really kind of had me on that man thing. I, I get there was a Jesus. I understand through reading secular writings, even other than the Bible, there was a man named Jesus that walked on this earth. I, I get that part. And you know what? He may even been a god or god. I don't know. But yeah, that kind of makes sense too. He did all those miracles. But the only way to heaven... That's, that's a little bit narrow-minded, isn't it? Isn't that just a little bit bigoted? Aren't you Christians being a little bit too exclusive and intolerant of other religions? Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just reading what Jesus said, okay? I'm just reading the book. What did Jesus say? I am the way, this is John 14, 6. I am the truth. I am the life, all singular, all distinctive. No one can come to the Father except through me. Not my words. Now, if you've been a Christian a while, that doesn't sound real bigoted. But to your non-Christian friends, that sounds very, very bigoted. The non-believing world thinks we're arrogant. And that we are intolerant. But those are the words of Jesus. No other religious leader made such a bold statement. It wasn't said out of arrogance. It was said out of compassion. And I love the illustration. Imagine this architect designing this beautiful building. It's just been completed. And he is there visiting on opening day. And a horrible fire takes place in this brand new building. And it's ablaze, and people are trying to get out as quickly as they can, and he notices a few people going down this long corridor, the wrong way out. And the architect says, don't go that way. I'm the architect of this building. I designed it, I had it built, and I know the way you are going will lead to certain death. There is no exit on that side. Follow me. I am the way out of this building to safety. Do you think any of those people would turn around and say, well, you sure are being narrow-minded. But boy, you're sure being arrogant and intolerant of others. No. They would follow that guy. If what Jesus is saying is true, then the most loving thing in the world you could tell someone is what? The truth. If He's the only way, then it's a loving thing. It's a compassionate thing. It's not an arrogant thing to tell somebody the truth. And that's all Jesus did, and that's all we're trying to do. Someone says, don't all basic religions in the world believe the same thing. 
No. No. Every other religion besides Christianity can be spelled D-O, do. There is something that you must do in order to gain the favor of your God. Christianity, on the other hand, is spelled D-O-N-E, done. Christ did for us that which we could not do for ourselves, and that's what? Take care of our sin problem. Remember I told you, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and my hand went up and your hand went up? You can't fix that on your own. But Jesus Christ can, and He said He would if we receive Him as our Lord and our Savior, accept Him into our lives, and ask Him penitently, humbly, Lord, I blew it, I messed up, I sinned. Would you forgive me? Ooh, and it's in an instant. It's there, it's yours for the taking. But you've got to believe. You've got to believe. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name. Buddha, Muhammad, I don't care who you say. There's no other name in all of heaven for people to call on to be saved. You call on anyone else, you will be lost. Are you getting this picture? Do you see why the Resurrection Sunday is so important? Do you see why it's important for Jesus to be human, to be God? Because He's the only way to heaven. See how this is all tying together. Now, if this is true, and you believe it's true, you need to be asking yourself, if you're not a believer this morning, what are the implications for me? What does this mean for me? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't leave this room without putting my trust in Jesus Christ. I would not do it. I would buy into this. After the first service, a young 18-year-old man, young man came to me. He said, I want to talk to you more about this. When, when can you meet? I go, what's your schedule? He says, well, I'm a fireman, and i got to work every weekend, because I was going to invite you to my class, right? Here on Sunday, we talk about this stuff all the time. And he says, I'm low man on the totem pole, and so I've got to be there. But he says, I'm off every Monday. I said, oh, how about if we get together on Mondays? And so we're going to start getting together on Mondays. Not tomorrow. I'm taking tomorrow off, all right? I'm tired. I woke up at 2, couldn't get back to sleep, had to get up at 3.30. And when I go home, I'm going to get horizontal, and I'm going to spend some time with my son and daughter-in-law and my grandbaby-to-be, Blake. May 4th, 5th, 4th. And then I'm going to spend some time with my neighbors, and we're going to have a wonderful meal together. And I'm going to sleep in tomorrow, and oh, I'll get all caught up. But then I'm going to work on Friday. I'm going to go to a wonderful wedding, Kelsey and all the family, and what a great deal that's going to be. And we're all going to pray together. They're going to let me do the prayer. Ooh, for the food. And we're going to have a celebration. But Jesus Christ says, you know what? I'm the way. And whatever else you got planned in your day, you'd better make me the way and don't delay till tomorrow. Don't put off till tomorrow, because tomorrow's not guaranteed. Amen? I had the same conversation with a fella. Mike, do you remember when it was Jane's birthday, August? We just spent the whole month, you know, going to Palm Springs and to Newport Beach and doing this. While we are in Palm Springs, we had an opportunity to talk to this family. There was a young kid there, maybe in his mid-20s. 
And I'm telling him all about the claims of Christ, and he's buying it. He's listening. And I, and I says, well, what are you going to do about it? He says, well, I'm going to do what you said. One of these days, I'm going to repent, and I'm going to confess Jesus Lord. I'm going to put him on in baptism. I'm going to do all that stuff, but I'm going to wait until I'm old and get all my life out of the way and do all the fun stuff that I want to do. And I go, wait a second, Jack. You, there's no guarantee you're going to be here tomorrow. You can get hit by a car tonight. But you know, that's, a lot of, that's the way a lot of people think. If this is true, what does it mean for me today? Three action steps. Number one, this idea of Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. First of all, the way. If you're a believer and you have friends, neighbors, and loved ones, co-workers, fellow students, whatever your case may be, that don't know Jesus, why don't you start mourning for them? Because they're lost if my Bible's true. If Jesus is the only way and they don't have Jesus in their way, then they're lost as lost can be. Would you mourn for them? Jesus mourned for Jerusalem. Look at Matthew 9.36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. No one to guide them. Do you grieve for your relatives, your friends, students? Do you grieve for your lost teachers and coaches that don't know Jesus? Uh, the longer you become a Christian, I think the more tendency to become a little bit jaded and maybe not think about the loss nearly as much. That's why I love young people, being around them. They're... Their hearts are on fire. They're thinking about the lost. And that's why I like hanging around young people. It reminds me to remember there are lost people out there that need Jesus Christ. Jesus is truth. Action step. Make the pursuit of truth a priority. Study the resurrection. Understand why you believe what you believe. A couple of good books. Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict, written by a lawyer. But he doesn't write like a lawyer. He writes in such a way that it really makes sense that everything Jesus claimed to be was true. Um, what's his name? Lee Strobel wrote a book called The Case for Christ. We got it out here in the back if you want it. Super good book on the same thing. Matthew 7, 7. Jesus, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Then the door will be open to you. And then one last thing. Jesus is the life. Here's your action step. Would you move from religion to relationship? It's not about religion. You know, I'm this religion, I'm that religion, I'm this religion. Does it? Religion never saved anybody. But a relationship with Jesus does. Yeah, but my grandparents went to this church and my parents before them. It's not about the church that you go to, that you pay homage to. We pay homage to a person, a Savior. My trust is not in the church. My trust is in the head of the church, Jesus. Paul put it this way to the Philippians. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you know the apostle Paul before he was Paul, was named Saul. And Saul was married to his religion called Judaism. And he says, even that's worthless to me now that I have a relationship with Jesus. Move from religion to relationship. Trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Do you know him today? If you don't, you, you can get to know him. 
Real simple, faith, repentance, and baptism. It's just that quick, that simple, that easy. Let's talk to God about it right now. Heavenly Father, we come to you thanking you for this Resurrection Sunday. Thank you for both services. Thank you, Father, for people that made decisions to follow you today. Thank you for being the way, the truth, and the life. And thank you for not sparing our feelings, but by telling us the truth, the most loving thing that you could possibly do. And if there are those here today that have never claimed you as their Lord and Savior, they've been putting their trust in the religion rather than in the relationship with you, I pray that they would cry out to you today, ask for forgiveness, repent of their sins, and put you on a baptism as our prayer in Jesus' name. And the whole church said, Amen. Let's stand and let's sing to the Lord.